Rachel and I, uh, yeah, Ra Rachel and I uh, were, were uh, sitting there as the Yurkoviches were, were teaching so well, and we're like, that's a great idea. They're like both standing up there together, they're teaching, and like one of them say something. So uh, in the afternoon, we tried to script our notes that way, and it was a disaster. Two minutes, two hours in, we were stressed out on the verge of a fight. We didn't really get in a fight. On the verge of a fight, and we didn't even get through our introduction. <laughs> so we're like, we're not doing this. So um, we are going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about marriage this session. I know the Yurkoviches talked about marriage, and they did such a fantastic job. Uh, I want to give you two pictures of marriage, and Rach, if you could come up and demonstrate this for me. You're going to be coming up, up and down, up and down. You're so awesome and great. So two pictures of marriages. One is face-to-face. -face. This is good, right? And whoa, whoa. So it, as we are in our marriage and we're face-to-face, -face, this is us loving one another. This is us relationally connecting. This is intimacy. This is communication. And this is good stuff. And even goes to other stuff, which is really good stuff. But that's not the only posture of marriage. There's another posture of marriage, and that's when we're side by side. We're shoulder to shoulder. We are working together. And uh, what we want to talk about isn't what the Yurkoviches talked about, because they talked about face-to-face -face time, and they did it really well. I found it very helpful. What we want to talk about in this session quickly is what does it mean to partner together in ministry as a couple? What does that look like, and how do we do it in a healthy way? Because like, we really want to do it in a healthy way. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I don't know if you, you want to keep on standing no, up here. Yeah. I'm sorry. We, we don't know how to script this. This is the first time we've done this. She's going to come up and talk after I talk for a little bit. But um, um, for us, we, man, marriage isn't easy. Marriage isn't easy at all. Uh, if you think marriage is easy, I would question whether you are aware or you're married. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Yeah, whether you're actually married. Marriage isn't easy. Marriage is difficult for all of us. But when you throw in the pressure of ministry, and ministry is significant, and for those of us in the church, in this room that are leading churches, holy cow, the pressure is even more significant. And when that pressure comes on you, that strain, uh, man, it really brings out a lot of, I mean, it brings all the problems to the surface. And uh, if you've been in ministry and you've been married, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. For Rachel and I, we, before we planted a church, our marriage was interesting. Um, we are both strong-willed. We are both confronters. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, she's an eight, and I'm a three. And on the Strength Finders test, they said I have command. So I have this strength called command, and she's an eight. And so, man, when we enter into conflict, we enter into conflict. My mom, who is so discerning and wise, who I love so much, uh, when I told her, Mom, I think, I think it's happening with Rachel. And she, and she looked at me, and she said, man, I cannot be more excited. I'm so thrilled. I want, I, I cannot imagine a better uh, daughter-in-law. But let me tell you, Brian, when it's good, it's going to be good. And when it's bad, it's going to be bad. And my mom was a, not only wise, she was a prophet. 
And so we, we, we have had some, I mean, we have master's degrees on how to con- conflict and argue with one another. And a lot of that we're, we're not actually proud of. But uh, when we planted a church 11 years ago, man, all of a sudden the pressure was more significant than we've ever experienced prior to that date. I mean, it was significant. And uh, so 11 years ago, we're, we're driving to Texas. We're from California. We're here in Southlands. They prayed us out. We're driving to the promised land where God has called us to plant a church. Glory to God, right? And so as we're driving there, we get to a hotel, San Antonio. And uh, man, I just feel the pressure. When I feel the pressure, I turn into a drill sergeant. I start barking out orders. She calls it, I'm being a jerk, Okay. <laughs> I'm interpreting it as something else. She's calling it, I'm being a jerk. And so I have our two kids, a three-year-old boy and our two-year-old girl at the time. And uh, I took them outside for some reason. And then when I tried to get back in the hotel room, it was locked. (laughs) (laughs) Our two kids. And finally, she opens up the door, and she's on the ground, kind of in a fetal position. (laughs) She says, "I I can't do this. She didn't say, I can't do this. She said, I can't do this with you. (laughs) I mean, we we have faced significant challenges. So there's significant challenges in just working interpersonally as we engage uh, in ministry as a couple. Like, that's the goal. We partner together. But in addition to that, the enemy is real. The enemy is real, and if you're in ministry, if you're planting a church, you become very acquainted with the attacks of the enemy on your marriage. We moved to Houston, and and there were many nights in the first year of planting a church where Rachel was just demonically attacked at night. She'd wake up in the middle of the night feeling like she was choked. Many times we'd have to wake up, turn on the lights, and we'd have to pray, and I'd have to minister to her and man there has been challenges there is a lot going against our marriages and so when we're feeling this pressure and there's significant pressure for us we we have come to kind of our goal and there's two things like when you're in war you don't need to know a lot of things you just need to know a few things and you need to make sure you do them really well so when we're engaged in this partnership and ministry and marriage we, we're committed to two things we're committed to two things one of them is that we're going to have a healthy vibrant thriving marriage we're committed to that and the other thing that we are committed to is that we have been called to lead this church those are the two things we are uh, we are going to fight for a healthy thriving marriage And we know that God has called us to lead this church, and we're going to do it together. And what we see, uh, for those that lead churches, those that are in ministry, we see that oftentimes, over time, people will give up on one of those two. They'll either, one, give up on the call of God to lead, because it's too much in order to protect their marriage, or what's even worse and almost more dysfunctional is they'll give up on their marriage and they'll act like they're married, but they're really just cohabitating. They hate each other's guts. But they love ministry so much, and they're committed to that, that they continue to serve their local church. Both of them are tragic. And we are committed. Man, our vision, our hope is that even if there's a lot of pressure, and this could be a beautiful thing, 
This could be a beautiful thing where we love each other, where we're growing more intimate on, sat, on our sabbatical on November and December of last year. Um, we had a, a bunch of great times together. Um, but one time we were driving and we, we, you know, we saw the little church marquee, those things that are made fun of all the time. And it says, um, it said, marriage should make you better, not bitter. And uh, it was one of those profound moments where Marquis actually said something good. And it was in the moment, Rachel read it and it struck a chord with her. She repeated it to me and it's like, yeah, we could rally around this. And the, pr- as longer, the longer we are continuing on in this journey, the longer we're married, the longer we are serving together in our local church, man, we want to become better. We don't want to become bitter. So we want to be an outstanding couple uh, who are working together in team. And there is a couple in the Bible that was a working together in team. Uh, they're an outstanding husband and wife team. And we really see uh, our, our role as a team. I'm committed to this team. For us, we have been, both been called to to ministry i've been called to lead i'm an elder we're complementarian we are we 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 are equal we're image bearers of god we're equal in dignity value and worth but we're distinct in roles and so i'm the elder but that doesn't mean that she doesn't have a role and doesn't play a part she's incredibly influential and i want her gift to be to flourish in the life of our church and so i'm the elder but together we team in ministry and we are both called to it, and we are both fully engaged in it. And so Priscilla and Aquila, we, they, we don't have much in Scripture, but they do provide for us somewhat of a model. So Acts 18, 1 through 3, we're just going to read the, the few portions of Scripture that uh, the Bible talks uh, about regarding Priscilla and Aquila. So Acts 18, 1 through 3, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently coming from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius has commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, and with them worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Priscilla and Aquila come onto the scene, Acts 8, Paul goes to Corinth, Paul's based in Corinth for a year and a half, and he's housed, or uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila open up their home to him. Obviously, there's relational connection. Paul is a tent maker. Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers. There's a connection, but Paul most likely is discipling them to the point when Paul moves to Ephesus, he takes Priscilla and Aquila with him to Ephesus to help him minister. They stay in Ephesus, and then we see the next account of Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18.24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way more accurately. So Priscilla and Aquila are together. They are ministering and serving. They're reaching out. Apollos is getting uh, instructed and trained by Priscilla and Aquila. And then the last account that we see about Priscilla and Aquila is in 1 Corinthians 16, 19. And Paul is ending his letter. And he says, the churches in Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church 
in their house sends you hearty greetings in the Lord. So Priscilla and Aquila, their home was being used as a house church. So this is all we have of this phenomenal husband and wife team that are in partnership together, working alongside together, shoulder to shoulder. And I think we could take a couple comments from these. There's not too much we can take from this. But I do think that we could see this team in operation that what they did is that they did it together. It wasn't that he was doing it and she was home. Now, when we see them active, they are together. They're together. They're fully in. And they're both serving the local church together. They're in Corinth and they're in Ephesus. Paul uses them and they host a church in their home. They minister, they lead, they train together. What we see is that they also open up their home. They open up their home. There's this gift of hospitality between this couple. You know, I just want to talk about this. I think, I think this is so incredibly important. If we're going to do this thing well, if this is not my thing, but this is our thing, then I think the gift of hospitality has to take a huge role in how we lead and minister to other people. Uh, hospitality isn't just having people in your home for a meal. Hospitality isn't just about opening up your home. Hospitality is about opening up your lives. It's about opening up your lives. It is relational. It is all relational. And so Priscilla and Aquila, this phenomenal team working together in ministry, they are not just kind of doing the meetings and then isolating themselves in, in their home or the husband kind of doing the ministry time while the wife is at home isolated. No, there is this sharing of their lives. Husband and wife, as they co-labor, they're willing to open up their lives and share their lives with other people. And we are a movement that wants to be a relational movement. And I, I firmly believe that if we're truly going to be relational, it's going to start with us. If our church is going to be relational, relational, it's going to start with us modeling relationship. And it's not just me being relational with people in the life of the church, but really to be effective, it's going to require both of us opening up our homes, sharing our lives, ministering and being effective with people so we want to do this and we want to do this well so the question comes like if if i'm called to lead but yet we minister together in team what does that actually look like on the ground so you have two extremes you have two extremes you have one extreme which is kind of like the neo-pentecostals where it would be high like we get a billboard and it'd be pastor brian and rachel barr invite you to an outstanding radiant worship time or something like that right so, Pastor Brian and Rachel Barr. No, that's extreme. We're not going there. Um, the other extreme is that God calls men to be pastors, and the office of an elder is uh, relegated to men and men only. So, there's a biblical role for men in the Bible, but there isn't a role for pastor's wife in the Bible, so she isn't expected to do anything. And I would say that is wrong and unbalanced as well. See, we want to we minister in team. We want to work together. So as we work together, the kind of the picture and vision of what marriage looks like and kind of our goal, I'll just give you a picture of my Vanna White, <laughs> Rachel Barr. So like, like we need to go somewhere, right? Um, it, it, headship is 
to lead. It's, also, it's mostly to serve, but there is leadership in that. And so I have this responsibility of headship as, as we serve together in ministry. And so we need to go somewhere. There needs to be some leadership, and I need to serve her well. But there's pictures of how this isn't helpful. So one of the pictures is, mine's going on the chair, is me going ahead with her indifferent. Right? That, that's a picture of ministry. I'm doing the work. What is she doing? She's not doing anything. She's doing her own thing. She's taking care of the home. So I'm doing the work. This is not a healthy picture. All right? Everybody agree? So another unhealthy picture would be, ready? I'm going this way, and I am, you've got to resist me. Come on. I know you can resist me. <laughs> so I'm like, no, we're going this way, right? And I'm going to pull her along. <laughs> Uh, that is not a healthy picture. That is not a healthy picture. There's a, here's another picture. Now you have to be compliant. I know this is hard. But <laughs> right? You can put, put your head down. Right? Just be miserable. And I'm going this way. I'm leading. I'm administering. And she is just tagging along. Right? And there's another picture too, right? And this is the picture where she's leading me. Right? She's pulling me along. <laughs> so, these are unhelpful unhel- pictures. This, this, you would all agree that this isn't what we want in our, in our marriage. What we really want is we want to be shoulder to shoulder. This is the picture. Like, God hasn't just called me to ministry. God has called us to ministry. And we stand shoulder to shoulder doing this thing. And we're both fully in. We want to do this. I love the picture of Jonathan and his armor bearer. That's how I think a healthy marriage as we partner together in ministry is. I am with you, heart and soul. She's saying to me, I am with you, heart and soul. And I'm saying to her, I'm with you, heart and soul. We can do this thing. We can do this thing. So here, here, here's some of the challenges. Um, when a husband's leading and, he's, and his wife is resisting, this is, this is a bad thing. Um, this is an unhealthy thing. So if I'm charging and just trying to force her along. This is incredibly unhealthy and unhelpful. And a lot of times we see this. This isn't isn't something that we uh, esteem. This isn't something that is good. This is incredibly dysfunctional and incredibly unhealthy. See, God has given me the responsibility of headship. And headship is to model my life after Christ who laid down his life. The command in Ephesians 5 isn't for me to control my wife, isn't for me to dominate my wife. Like, so I'm going this way. If she's resisting, what do I do? What's, what do I do? Do I yell at her? Do I dominate her? Do I force her? See, the Bible doesn't ever command me to force her. The Bible doesn't ever command me to control her or to rule her. Now, what the command is, is to love her. And this is one of the litmus tests for the health of our marriage as we're partnering together in ministry, is I have to love and serve her in such a way that she flourishes to the calling of both of us. That's what headship is. It's to serve and to lay down our lives in such a way that our wives and our kids thrive. 
where they thrive. Not, not the, the goal isn't that she just thrives as a good wife. Man, there's a much bigger vision than that. The goal is that she thrives as a, as a, as a wife, as a mom, but also as a co-laborer with me in ministry. And my job is to serve her in such a way that the gifts that God has put in her life, the, the passion that God has put in her that comes to fruition, that's our role. So a litmus test for us to be able to identify, like, how is your marriage as you are partnering together in ministry is if you are walking and you are alone or being resisted, there's a big problem. There's a big problem. And it means, men, that we're not doing our jobs of serving our wives serving our wives faithfully. So, you are fantastic. Yeah, no, do you want to share now? Yeah. Okay, Rich is going to share for a couple minutes, and then based on time, we'll, uh, we'll give some, some practical points. Yeah, we need a mic there. So you guys good? All right, let's welcome Rachel. Robin, I so love your freedom and joy, and I just want everyone to know I'm going to dance after I say each point. So I'm going to say my point, and then I'm going to do, do a little bit. <laughs> um, Brian shared with you that ministry has been very, very challenging in our marriage. And um, any of you own an Instapot? Any of you women, men? Yeah, you, you cook with Instapot, you put your food in. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you cook with the Instapot, and, um, and, and when it's in the process, you have to release the, the steam valve, and then all this hot steam just comes shooting out, right? That's what happened when we, we got married. It, it happened a little. It was like the slow release. But when we planted a church, it was like quick release. It was like all this stuff that was inside was being pushed out. Pushed out. And I'm going to tell you people, there was some hot, ugly madness that was going on in my soul that the Lord used church planning to squeeze and bring out. So I'm going to let you in some of the crazy. In the beginning, there was a lot of, well, still to this day, but um, in the beginning, there was a lot more pressure from men. Pressure of man, fear of man, insecurity like I had never experienced before. There were times in the beginning of our church plant where we would argue and I would run and slam the door of our bedroom and go hide in the closet and drop and weep. There were times I'd hop in the car and say, I can't do this anymore with you. <laughs> I can't do this anymore with you. And I'd have no idea where I'm going, but I'd get in the car and then I'd drive around the corner, park at the park, and then just cry for hours, cry out to God, please help me. There was a time that we had invited a ton of our neighbors over. We just started, we, we hardly had anybody in the church, and we're trying to be missional. And Brian ticked me off, and during the game, I yelled at half the people in the room. <laughs> I don't want to play with you or you. And I ran to my room, slammed the door. <laughs> yeah, that's real missional. There was some ugly stuff going on, and God used the church plant to reveal faulty, cracked foundations. There was a time when Brian was leading a meeting, and all of a sudden, he hears snoring, and he looks over, and it's me, his wife. <laughs> Just
just to lighten up the load. Everything was, I wasn't always crazy. <laughs> but he says, I can't believe you. I look over and I was like, and it wasn't a quiet, it wasn't a quiet snore. It was like a full on. <laughs> that was his wife. He's like, I felt really encouraged. I was like, I'm so sorry. And you know, the funny thing, before we started the church, I actually had felt very qualified. I thought, well, when are you going to send us, Lord? Right? <laughs> I love what Corey said. God is a horrible talent scout. And I love that he actually took us out when I was at my weakest point. I love it because God uses ordinary men and women. The scripture that it says he used ordinary men. They knew that they were ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. And I think in our day and age, we strive so much for the superstar glamorous. We're so great. And I'm so glad that God uses us in our weakness. So we can't boast in ourselves, but we can boast in him because he's amazing. It's not about us people, and it's about his greatness. And that's so encouraging. All the pain in the beginning of the church planning, in all of our life, actually, God has used for my good and for the good of others. I love that. God comforts us that we're able to comfort and help others. My hubby is a steady, amazing man. For those of you that know him, you know this. He's awesome, but he is the one. He is not meant to be the one that satisfies my soul. He is not meant to be my rock. He is not meant to be my all. And I think I just have three points on how to team well in ministry, and I'll be done. But my first one is that the biggest way I can partner with Brian and, is, and be um, helpful to him, be helpful to what God has called us to, is to run after the lover of my soul. Second Peter 1.16 says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, but we are eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And I love that so much. That gripped my heart because I'm not just believing a story that I read, but God said every day we get to be eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his love, of his grace, of his power, of his intimacy, and this is the God I'm running after him because he is the lover of my soul. He is my rock. He is my healer. He is my redeemer. Brian is not. Brian is a gift from God, but he is not my all. I love that he has called me as a wife to seek after him and to, to hear his voice, his voice to be the loudest and the clearest. I love when Brian encourages me. I love when he, he speaks truth to my heart. It's encouraging. It builds me up. But what God says rules my heart. And that's how we're meant to be as wives. His voice, what he says, what he declares is meant to rule our hearts. Um, I love that God empowers us to do what he does. So as I'm seeking the lover of my soul, I'm saying, Father, You've called me to minister with this man. This is not Brian's call for me. Brian hasn't given me this call. You're going to minister and you're going to um, love one life with me. God has given me this call. And so if he's given me this call, he's going to empower me. And my desire at the end of the day is not to please Brian, but my desire is to please 
the lover of my soul. My God, you have called me, you've equipped me, and I want to, my aim is to please you and to please your heart. And when things get hard, I don't take it out here, I take it to him. Father, I need you. I need your help. Um, the sec- so the first is just seeking after the lover of my soul. The second thing I think is so helpful in um, lasting and in uh, leadership and leading a church is the big, one of the best things I can do is push this man to seek after the lover of his soul. I think we can become good cheerleaders as women, and I think that's great. You know, at times I've told Brian... You know, I love you. I'm for you uh, many times. And then at times I've said, get your big boy pants on and get out there. You can do this. You know, when, when he's, I think I can't do this anymore. This is so hard. It's like, pull up your big boy panties and go. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not the goal either, right? Okay. Um, but the biggest thing I can do for this man is to encourage him to seek after God to love him, to seek the lover of his soul, to become more like Jesus, not to build up his ego, but to build up his spirit. Say, who is God? What has God said? And that's what we keep our eyes on. Not that you are great and you are gifted and you can do this. Those are true, but that's not, God is the one who I want him to seek after and be secure in, not himself. I don't want to be an ego builder. I want to be a faith builder. And the last thing is, I've, I believe it's important for us to be our spouse's lovers. I know you guys know I wasn't going to leave that out. <laughs> I love talking about this. But there is no other person in this world that can meet this need in my husband but me. And I love that. There are many of you men in this room that are amazing, faithful friends to my husband. And there are things that he can go to for you, to you, that, that I can't give him, but nobody else can give him this thing. And I love that. 1 Corinthians 7.5 talks about not depriving each other so the enemy can't come in and tempt. Being lovers, making love, being intimate, it is spiritual warfare. We are keeping the devil out of our marriages. No way, no space. It's a gift, and it's intimate, and it's close. And sometimes we're just being faithful to each other because one of us doesn't feel like it. But it is what God has called to connect, use. He allows for us to draw close and intimate with each other, and I love that. Um, I felt in preparing this morning, I feel like if, if you're a woman or a man and you have been sexually abused, which I have been, and it has affected our intimacy and in marriage in the beginning, I just felt to say, please get help. Bring it into the light. Don't allow that to affect your marriage and your intimacy because you need each other. And you're the only ones that can satisfy each other. I'm going to end with this. Tim Keller quote. Oh, Timmy boy. He's so good. marriage has the power to set the course of you as a whole oh I hope I got that right to set the course sorry Timmy if I didn't okay wait (laughs) marriage has the power to set the course of you as a whole if your marriage is strong even if all of the circumstances in your life around you are filled with trouble and weakness it won't matter you will be able to move out into the world in strength 
Our marriages will set the tone for the impact that we have in our community, in our church. If we have shaky and stable marriages, it will leak into our church. If we are insecure, it'll leak into our church. We can't take people where we haven't gone ourselves. That's all. <laughs> that, what else do I have? All right, we're good. Awesome. awesome. All right, so we have different pictures of like how we describe this. Uh, my favorite picture of how we work together in partnership is a sniper and the spotter, right? Maybe that's not that m romantic for you, but I, I, do, I do think it conveys, yeah, Rachel's lying down together on a blanket. Actually, Rachel's is a chef and a sous chef where we make amazing meal together. That, that doesn't really do it for me, but, but I like to think of us as this team, sniper, spotter, so both of us are out there on the field. Both of us are in harm's way. Both of us are on the battle. Both of us are engaged. Both of us are working hard. Both of us are skilled. And both, both of us are invaluable. And so this is this team uh, that we're committed to. We want to thrive in our marriage, and we want to thrive as, in, as we engage in, in ministry. So I'm just going to end with seven quick kind of practical points on what has been helpful for us, and we're just going to fly through them. If you want clarity on any of them, feel free to ask me after this. So the first is to know one another. The first is that we know each other. Uh, we think we know each other when we're engaged, right? And then we get married, it's like, whoa, we didn't know each other. But guess what? That journey continues on. And uh, we really need to know each other. And it, when, when we're talking about this, we need self-awareness. And really, when, we are ex when you're growing in self-awareness of yourself, it's really a journey between you and your spouse, one closest to you, because they're helping you become self-aware. So we need to know, be self-aware. One, one of these big things is what has happened and what has affected us in our past. Rachel has come from a, a horrible, broken background. I mean, just so traumatic and dysfunctional. And that has an effect on her life and her behaviors and what she does under stress. And we need to know those things. She needs to become self-aware. I need to become self-aware. And we, we, we need to dive into that. We also need to dive into personality issues. You know that not everybody thinks like you. Your spouse doesn't think like you. Rachel and I can't be more opposite from each other. Like on the Myers-Briggs, she's an I, I'm an E. She's an S, I'm an N. I'm a T, she's an F. She's a J, I'm a P, which means uh, like we are completely opposite. Like she likes to like, she feels secure when plans are in place. And I'm like, I feel insecure when plans are in place. I want my options open because there's going to become a better option. I know it, right? And, and it's good to explore those things. Like we're, there's different, per we think differently. We're wired differently. So exploring these things is incredibly helpful, I think, to become self-aware. The Enneagram test and sabbatical for Rachel and I, two, two months, we just continue to talk about the Enneagram test. The Enneagram test isn't everything, but it does help us to kind of put, kind of put a finger on some of the, the core um, uh, motivations of our heart that are sinful, and we can expose those, bring those to the light, and, and help and serve one another. The second thing 
that has been helpful for us is that we know how to best leverage our collective strengths and gifts. Now, I don't want at all to be prescriptive in this talk, and I've tried my hardest not to be prescriptive in this talk because what happens often is there becomes this idea, and this usually happens for you wives, is that you have this idea that there's this perfect pastor's wife role and what it looks like. And there is no perfect, like, there's no one pastor's wife role. It doesn't exist. Your wife is an individual person. She has gifts and she has strengths. Each one of our wives has gifts and strengths. And what we want to do is to fan those into flame, let those flourish, and then set them free and set them loose to do that. So some wives are really good at administration, so they get involved in that in the life of the church. There's no way I would have Rachel do that in the life of our church. I love her to death. But if we were both in a staff meeting at our church, it would not go well. It would not go well. But you know what Rachel's phenomenal at? She is phenomenal at loving people. I mean, she, loves, she has this amazing gift to love people, and she has such a heart and compassion for the down and outers, for the broken people, for those that are struggling, and she has a radar for them. Like, she just finds them out, and then she sets her love on those people. And she ministers effectively. She's prophetic as she ministers and prays for people. So there is no way on Sunday mornings I am going to lock her into any responsibility on, in the morning. Why? Because she is my special agent on Sunday mornings. She is walking around and she is just loving people and ministering to people. She is so impactful and fl- so influential. We want to run in our lanes. That's something that we've been saying in the life of our church as an eldership team. Man, we want every person on our team to run in their lanes. How do you know if the person's running in their lanes? One, they're good at it, right? Like we don't want someone not being good at something. And then the second thing is that they're not just good at it, but they like doing it. Some people are good at stuff, and they don't like doing it. It just kills them and drains them, right? So we want to set each other free to what God has called them to do in their strength. The third thing is that we need to know how to strengthen and encourage one another. In our marriages, here's the truth. Your spouse has access to you like nobody else. There is nobody in the world more powerful that has more power to encourage me other than Rachel. And there's nobody in the world more, that has more power to discourage me than Rachel. So we need to learn how to encourage each other effectively. Rachel talked a little bit about that. The fourth thing is that we need to have discernment and wisdom. We need to know how to best include our wives in ministry. So I am the elder. I am full-time on staff. I'm paid. I am in a lot of the elders' meetings. I'm in a lot of the staff meetings. She's not in the staff meetings. I become aware of pastoral issues. And so I am aware of a lot of things. Right? And, and, and if we're going to partner together effectively, she has to feel like she's part of this thing. So there, there's kind of the, this tension and this balancing act that we need wisdom on. If we tell her everything, that would be harmful. And we want to protect our wives from everything. But if we don't tell her anything, then she's not going to feel included in part of this thing. And so we need wisdom on how to best include our wives. And for each of us, where that, where that lands is different. Some wives are like, just I, I don't need to know that. Right? Some wives need to know a little bit more. 
We need to be discerning and wise. What we want to do is to make them feel like they are part of us, part of this thing. So uh, the fifth thing is that we need to know each other's capacity. We need to know each other's capacity and rhythms. So we each have capacity and rhythms. We, we're, we're not superhuman. We're humans, and we, only, we have a threshold only so high. When Rachel loves people so well, and she's like her, her big game day is Sundays. And so she pours herself out, which means on Mondays, we are always getting in fights. <laughs> always. And it took us like 10 years to figure this out. And so finally, about a year ago, we, we finally, it like dawned on us. You know what? We are always irritated and don't like each other on Mondays. Why is that? Well, because we just emotionally expended ourselves. Both of us, we fully depleted ourselves. So we have nothing left. And so Monday is like every little thing is rubbing us the wrong way. It results in a big fight. And Monday night is supposed to be our nice date night, family night. And it never goes well. So... It's like, so I, knowing our capacity is like, Rachel, you are not allowed to call anybody, and you're not allowed to meet anybody on Mondays. That's your day. You rest. You recover. You enjoy. Do whatever fills your tank, right? And know each other's capacity and rhythms to protect ourselves. And this goes into the next point. Know what drains and fills each of us. Know what drains and fills each of us. So um, there are things that drain us in ministry. And there is a lot in that category that drains us. And we in our marriage, if we're going to partner for the long haul, that means that we need to know how each other is filled, like replenished. Like for me to be filled, I need to go work out and I need some time outside. If I do that, she's like, oh, my whole husband's back. It's amazing. And one of the things for us that fills us is I give one day a week, Fridays, to Rachel. No matter how busy I am. No matter uh, if I'm done with my sermon notes or not, like, Rachel, today's your day. We're going to do what you want to do. And it, I usually enjoy the day. It's fantastic and amazing. We sleep in, and we eat donuts, and we lay on a blanket, and we work out. And, like, we, we have our filling day down pretty well. We need to know what fills us. And then last point, and this is just... I want to encourage you guys, know who you can turn to. Marriage in ministry isn't easy. And if you're trying to figure this thing out and um, work through this issue on your own, it, it's going to be a lot harder. But there are phenomenal people in this room and phenomenal people that you can reach out to. There are these older couples that are really lasting. The leaders who have lasted, phenomenal examples for us. We're not alone. We're, we're in this thing together. There's partnerships and there's people to reach out to. And if, if you're struggling in your marriage, if your marriage, if you're kind of in a bad spot and you're hiding that fact, man, I, I want to encourage you not, not, to stay, um, not to stay with walls up and hide your problems, but really bring those problems to someone else that can help you and serve you. We'd hate to see your marriage fall apart. We'd hate to see you not last as a leader because your marriage doesn't last. And we want marriages to thrive and we want us to be really effective as we partner together with our spouses in ministry. Amen. Amen.